On this edition of Multiverse Reviews, we're going to cover Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon after this ad. Welcome to Multiverse Reviews. I'm Haley Hobbs, and I have my wonderful co-host of Multiverse News with me, Jay Scotty St. Clair, here today. How are you doing, Scotty? I am excellent. Excited to talk about this highly anticipated awards contender. How are you, Haley? I'm doing kind of great. It was. It's always a letdown, this uh, content that we watched recently that we're going to talk about. So it I've was had heavy. a couple hours to like get <laughs> feeling better about it. Um, yeah. But like I said, we are talking about 2023's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on the book Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Grann. I just saw it today. Scotty, when did you see it? I saw it last night. So we're really fresh on it. And uh, we're going to do a non-spoiler little bit here first. And so, Scotty, take it away. Okay, so I will start off by saying I'm interested to hear from you because I know on source pages you were doing your kind of like companion piece, like reading the book right alongside getting ready to watch this. So I'm more curious to hear your thoughts. But I think (laughs) um, like the big question for me, like thinking about this movie and contemplating this movie is the runtime. Like it is massive. It is epic coming in at three and a half hours long. And I, I guess it begs the question, is it justified? And I have to say, like, I was glued to the screen the entire runtime. I can't help but compare it to, like, another historical epic and, you know, a likely awards contender, Oppenheimer. And -hmm. I can't help but feel like maybe Oppenheimer made better use of its runtime. I think I could see a version of Killers of the Flower Moon that, like, clocks in around closer to two hours and 45 minutes, closer to three hours. and And I think it might work a little bit better. But this is just an example of a masterclass of filmmaking. You've got Martin Scorsese establishing us in this time period. uh, And it's just so lived in. And the characters are super compelling, super nuanced. It's a haunting tale. And it's just, it fires on all cylinders. The score, the cinematography, the performances. it, It was just a delight to behold. But it was like a heavy and taxing experience. Um, so that's kind of where I'm landing. How about you? What, what are your non-spoilery thoughts? I have thoughts about the length in regards to the story, which I'll talk about in our spoiler section. Okay. I did feel the length of the movie, but similarly, it's just such an engrossing story that you kind of don't hate that you're there for three and a half hours. You're, cause sure. you're just sucked into Oklahoma and this horrific thing that they're talking about. And um, I, I thought it was extremely well done. I had mm-hmm. mid hopes going in just cause I don't like to overhype myself going into things that I feel very strongly about. Sure. And I'd heard a couple of people already hype it up a lot. And so I was like, okay, please be wonderful. Please be wonderful. Please do justice to the people in the story. And I mm-hmm. very much feel that it did. Okay. Is that it well, for spoiler free? <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's any reason to like beat around the bush. It. Like it is, <laughs> it is based on true events. So <laughs> I don't know how That's much true. we can actually <laughs> spoil things, but uh, we'll go ahead and get into the spoiler section. So if you were just tuning in to get our non-spoilery thoughts and, you want to catch the movie, you know, keep us in your feed, come back after you've had a chance to watch the movie and listen to the rest of this review. Or if you just don't care about spoilers and you want, you want to hear what we thought, Because we you have the internet and you can look it up if you want to. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's um, right. So, yeah, so yeah. I'll jump in sure. and say that 
the thing I was most concerned about that was that this movie, this tale of the story, would not focus enough on the people who were affected by this mm. tragedy. And I was very thankful at the end that I did feel it did justice to them. Okay. Um, because that, to me, is it's obviously the crux of the whole thing. The murders of this family um, for their, mm -hmm. their oil head rights and... I was just like, God, there's like a lot of big names in this movie, and I don't want it to take away from that. And I, I don't think it did. If anything, I think it really just enhanced, enhanced the tale of horror that we we sat through. Um, yeah, that's my initial non-spoiler. <laughs> Maybe that was kind of non-spoilery. I don't know, or my spoilery. Uh, I, I <laughs> yeah, I think it was still kind of non-spoilery, but it uh, it, it, it's all good. Like, and, and you you talk about big names, and you talk about the representation of the Osage people, and like. I, I can't help but think of the fact that, like, Martin Scorsese is a filmmaker that's known for, like, having these partnerships with, uh, you know, acclaimed actors. He's had a run with Robert De Niro. He's had a, ru a run with Leonardo DiCaprio, but both of those have been mm -hmm. separately. So to have these two leading men kind of united, like, Killers of the Flower Moon will always, like, hold a special place in my heart and I think, like, in the, the film history for that reason. But thinking about the Osage representation, Lily Gladstone, like, cannot sing her praises high yeah. enough because she absolutely holds her own and she is like that focal point for the Osage people and like this this is a sad tragic tale an absolute tragedy and she really does you know make that palpable the way mm -hmm. she portrays this heartbreak and this this love and this kind of like hoping against all odds when you see you know the odds stacked and mounted against you and the predators creeping in and the person that's supposed to be closest to you is, you know, undermining you. She just plays that all mm -hmm. so, so wonderfully. And I'm actually getting goosebumps right now mm -hmm. just, like, thinking about some of these scenes in, in my in my mind again. So um, yeah. I know thinking about the book, um, one of the things I heard is that when they were tackling the script, it was Martin Scorsese and um, Eli Eric Roth, or Eric, Eric Roth, Roth I think. yeah Eric Roth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very two very different yeah. <laughs> creatives, Eli Roth and Eric Roth. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess in the book, um, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's kind of told from the perspective of the FBI, where it's an investigation as as the FBI uncovers new information. You, as the reader, are exposed to that information. Where they, when they were cracking the script, they kind of decided, like you know, we have done police procedurals in the past. Where is the heart of this story? And they kind of decided, like, look at the character of Molly and and Ernest, and that's kind of where the the heart is. And for my purposes, I think that was like the right move. So I'm curious um, mm. for you, having read the book, like, what do you what did you think about that that move? And and did it allow for that proper um, representation of the Osage people? The book is really told from three points of view. And okay. I listened to the audiobook first because I was in a time crunch at the time mm -hmm. to meet David Gran. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, it, it started being narrated, and then the next section started, and it was narrated by somebody different. So oh, okay. I would strongly encourage listening to the audiobook because it, it does an interesting job of using actors to read the different parts of the book. So the first part is kind of the Bill Hale. Uh, Mr. King part okay. of the book and then it focuses on the Osage and then it focuses on the FBI um, <clears throat> the FBI stuff and, and again to your point I'm glad that they switched the story from focusing on the FBI which is a fascinating part of the book that we don't get a lot of in the movie right. um, which was my point about the length and I'll go back to it but it, mm -hmm. it focused on the true heart of the story which is Molly and Molly's sisters and her mother and and the horrible deeds done to them and their community. 
if mm. they had wanted to include more of the FBI information and story, which the reason it's fascinating is because this was truly J. Edgar Hoover putting the FBI together like it did not exist before. The federal government right. had no true jurisdiction within the country. Um, and this, and so he kind of used this as a catalyst to create the Federal Bureau of Investigation. But if they were going to mm. do all of that, it needed to be like a mini series or something. Because sure, otherwise, it, you would have lost something that was very important in the in the fair is it Fairfax in the Fairfax part of the story. Yes, right. Um, to focus on the FBI, which would be like, well, yeah, we know what the FBI is. Um, mm. However, to know that J. Edgar Hoover was in his 20s when he started it is oh, yeah. pretty amazing. And it talks a lot about Tom White, the Texas Ranger turned investigator that solved the mm. crimes and his team. So we missed a lot of that context. But I thought they did those characters, those people, um, a mm. lot of justice, really portraying them as men who wanted to get down to the truth. They did a lot of interesting things to get their things that are pretty questionable. Yeah. Not that that doesn't happen today still in the FBI. Sure. We know that sure. it does. Um, and just kind of seeing that that continuity in that organization mm. all the way from the beginning, super interesting. Yeah, I felt like the J. Edgar Hoover name drop, like, again, not to, like, compare this to Oppenheimer, like, all the time, but it did remind me of, like, the JFK name drop that we got yeah. <laughs> um, in Oppenheimer. But I did appreciate it. And um, Yeah, I mean, he has to... Yeah be in there at least once <laughs> yeah 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 and you, you kind of referred to the pacing and uh, i i will s- say that it kind of felt like the fbi portion of the of the story was kind of not until like the the final third and i mm-hmm. kind of remember like having this inclination almost to like pull out my phone and look at the time when jesse Plemons finally did appear yeah. on screen because i was like wow we've been in this movie for a long time and yeah. this is finally happening but jesse Plemons does a phenomenal job and even with his limited screen time like he really does uh like to your credit and to your point like uh portray a man of honor and a man that's seeking justice and um, I, when I think about his character, I can't but help help but think about the trailer, and there and, and it makes me think about some of the humor in this movie. And it is a very mm-hmm. dour and heavy oh, mo- yeah. <laughs> movie and serious movie, but there is some humor that really works in this movie and 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 helps it kind of like have these moments of levity and kind of release the tension. And his character is a source of it a few times. And in the trailer, he has this this scene with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest Burkhart, where he says, "I was sent down to Washington to see about these murders." And Leo's like, you know, see what about him? And he's like, we'll see who's doing him. And every time I saw that trailer in the in the theater, I was like, that's hilarious. But I didn't feel like I was getting that reaction from mm-hmm. the audience. So I was so happy when the audience <laughs> that I saw this movie with, everybody laughed in that moment. It was yeah. great. Yeah, the humor is, it's dark because of the content, but it's also very real. Like, mm. I mean, I was, and Ernest, unfortunately, is the butt of the joke a lot. Oh, no yeah. pun intended for those who have seen the movie. Mm. Um but it's because he was such an idiot and oh, yeah. this awful situation for himself. And yeah. so I kind of laughed or I kind of had these like chuckle moments. It was more like, <laughs> like comeuppance. That's what you get, Ernest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He is always the butt of the joke. And it's it's Leo playing against type for sure because he's known for mm-hmm. playing very like commanding or charismatic characters. And Ernest Burkhardt is not an intelligent man, <laughs> you know. 
No, he, there are no redeemable <laughs> qualities about Ernest. <laughs> yeah, and he kind of lays it out in the beginning, too. Like, I, I do love that money, sir. Mm-hmm. Women are my weakness. It's, and if I don't have to work a day in my life, that sounds pretty good to me. So he kind of, like, mm-hmm. tells you who he is right out the gate. But uh, still, like, Leo does, you know, a great job kind of portraying the the kind of, like, sad way that a a person that kind of lacks agency like him can become become culpable to such heinous, mm-hmm. heinous, you know, uh, acts and crimes. But um, just relating to the humor again real quickly, I, I think about the line with uh, he and Robert De Niro when he, he's like giving him instructions and he's like, just give me some kind of look on your face that tells me you understand what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, good old Bob in there making some lines pretty humorous that shouldn't be. Again, like it's right, not really right. that it's funny at all, but you're yeah. just like, God, this guy's such a dolt that, mm-hmm. he, you know, what, how can he not see what he's doing or not ca- not seem to care? Um, yeah. And I think he did care about Molly. I think he loved her oh, very much. Yeah. Um both from the book and from the movie, but I th- I think, like we said, he was an idiot, and mm. <laughs> so he and they called him Byron in the film, his brother. But yes. I was looking through my book again, and it's Brian. Is it okay? So I wasn't sure why they made that change, and I didn't look up anything on the internet to see why. But I thought that was huh. interesting. <laughs> that is interesting, yeah, because. Yeah, I don't I, think I, that David Grant got it wrong. He spent ten years writing this book. Like, <laughs> wow! Like, <laughs> I wonder if there was some thing uh, with saying his name in the movie. Who knows? Maybe yeah. his estate. I don't know. Uh huh. I, I really do wonder. But it's it's interesting that you bring up the character of of Byron uh, because I don't. Have you seen The Last of Us? No. Okay. It's well, not just my that, genre, sadly. <laughs> I, 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 that's why I asked. I kind of figured, but uh, it's interesting because the character, the actor that played Byron, Scott Shepard, I'd never really seen him before, but he actually popped up um, in The Last of Us in a very mm. iconic and unsavory role. So I think he's very quickly establishing himself as this uh, guy that you love to look hate. About him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Gonna go back to Leo because I thought his performance yeah. was really phenomenal and i know he's a wonderful actor obviously but Mm -hmm. this seems like a standout performance for me for him and i think because he's going against type like you said um Mm. he you know his the posture he adopted and the mannerisms of earnest that he took on and even i almost wonder if he didn't have cotton balls in his mouth like marlon brando to get that kind of jowly effect and to make his his oklahoma accent so i don't like that you know like he had a very (laughs) he was just it felt very real for me to watch him on screen um and i just so good so good yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, I think between I think all three of our leads here, I think he, Robert De Niro, and Lily Gladstone are shoe ins for nominations. Mm-hmm. And if at least one of them don't win, I do think it'll be um, a, a real shame. Um, I'm, I'm kind of pulling a tough for race Lily Gladstone. Next year. <laughs> yeah, it, it really will be. It really will be. Um, but I do want to circle back to the character of By- uh, Byron for just a second because when I think of him, I immediately kind of think of the scene that kind of maybe have this disdain for him. And that was in his interactions with Molly's sister, Anna. Mm-hmm. And I do think like out of all of Molly's family members, like you, you get to know some of them on, on different levels. Like I think about her mom, Lizzie, like she was the ones that, one of the ones that you got to know a little bit better. Uh, but Anna was kind of like the sister that I thought like that loss, like really 
uh, struck a chord. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like that was like the kind of the beginning of the end in, in the terms of like the her family's downfall. Like mm-hmm. the the movie did kind of a weird thing in the beginning where we had like a montage of deaths that was like I, I feel kind of bad for saying this, but it almost felt like I didn't really feel those death be- deaths because it almost felt like kind of like clerical. Like I was almost right. like, you know, too much of an observer to like feel the impact yet. And I think it was intentional because then we see a good portion of the ones that we hear Molly list off. We see them on screen and they're all very brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was it was kind of a whiplash thing, but I think for a reason because I felt that yeah. as well, um, and we got it at the beginning there. We get it in the middle where we see most of them die, and then we got a little bit during the trial, too, at the end. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it was a choice to just, like, try to make an impact with the number, which that wasn't even close to all of the people that were killed. But um, Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But Anna's – I'd say Anna's and Rita's stick out as – the toughest oh, ones. Oh, um, yeah, And yeah. Anna's case was, uh, I mean, it was as gory as they portrayed it. They, mm-hmm. The doctors were extremely vile, and all the things that they did to her are accurate. Um, oh, and then wow. they exhumed yeah. her remains there. I think when the FBI came, they were like, that's when they had the where's the bullet conversation, because the FBI was like, where's the bullet? Yeah, you dug uh, around so, in her brains to find the oh bullet. God, Where is was, it? Yeah. That was ooh, that was kind of yeah. hard to like, and that was I, back to Lily Gladstone, like her covering her ears as they're sawing on her sister's oh, yeah. skull, and her her raw portrayal of those very real emotions was, mm. like you said, just what kind of grounds you in the absolute horrendous nature of everything that happened. Yeah, yeah. You bring up a couple of, of really good points. And, like, thinking about the fact that this movie is is rated R, I think the depiction of violence and some of the gore is where it primarily earns that rating. Mm-hmm. And, like, you bringing up Rita um, and the discovery of her body and when they, like, lift her up and you get Ooh. to see the back of her head. Like, that was, like, that was so that grotesque. Was and <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was I, I feel kind of bad for bringing it up again because it's, it's, it's that bad. But... Um, yeah, even with what you mentioned about the surgery and the and the sawing and everything that like that that has to happen. But um, I do think about uh, Rita and Minnie and how they were both married to the same man, this character of Bill Smith. And he was a character that I, I found myself like coming away with some questions about because initially I thought that he was very much a part of like this, okay, the white people want to come in and get these head rights. That's why he's married to Minnie. Is he the one that's poisoning Minnie? Like what does he know? What doesn't he know? But it seems like... Uh, King King Hale always kind of held him in, in disregard because he failed in some way. And then yeah. he seems like later on that he's actually suspicious and he's conducting an investigation of his own into Anna's death for Rita, which, you know, is what leads to mm-hmm. him getting taken off the board as well. But I, I thought it was a little murky in terms of what his allegiance allegiances were, at least initially. It, it became clear that he was an enemy of, of William Hale at, at the end anyway. Yeah, I think it was, well, yeah, you can dip into that once. But once Ernest married Molly um, Mm -hmm. and Hale hatched this plan to murder the family, he was like, well, you've got to go, too, because he was a loose end. Yeah, he was a loose end. Yeah. 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 And he did, I believe. I can't remember. I do believe he poisoned Vinny. Yeah. that that was my understanding. Okay, yeah. I, I would be surprised if it was otherwise. Okay, so he w- yeah, 
thinking of him as a loose end, I think, makes a lot more sense because we mm-hmm. saw how King takes care of his loose ends. Like they, uh, swiftly. they did not hold back. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I, I, it does make me think about another character that I did have some questions about. Um, there was the cowboy that kind of acted as an intermediary towards the character that was named John that ended John up Ramsey. doing yeah he ended up doing more of the activity but he was the mm-hmm. guy that like made the introduction oh, to yeah. John Grammar? Ramsey and there's was that his name? Grammar yeah and he had the sequence where he's in his car and he's bleeding from the head and then he crashes and it was mm-hmm. like okay, I, I, I wondered if I missed something along the lines about how he got to that point but I guess I don't somebody, remember uh, yeah. exactly but okay. the old man says that a, a angel came down and brushed him with death or something like that but i think it's implied that he was probably shot or beaten and maybe tried to get away and then crashed okay that was that was kind of my takeaway okay and and he did martin scorsese did leave some of that stuff up in the air which (laughs) not to be (laughs) the i lowered the age in my theater significantly that's all i'm gonna say and so i could hear a lot of like whispering around me about asking like well wait who was that guy and so yeah. Because there were so many pieces on the chessboard, I think that yeah. some of that stuff is a little confusing. Um, yeah. But yeah. that's also kind of like, well, this is even a fraction of the people that were involved. So they probably sure. did the best they could to try to include as many of those different uh, players in this game on the board. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's fair. That During the court proceedings, there were some people being called to the witness stand that was like, I did not remember their name. I remember right. John <laughs> I remember John Ramsey just because I felt like his name got said often enough to where mm-hmm. I was like, and, th- and that guy is like very, he's just memorable. He's kind of like, he reminds me of a Sam Shepard type or, or, or something he like that. He was super interesting. Yeah. It was almost like yeah. they found somebody in Pawhuska yeah, and were right. like, and I'm not knocking his portrayal at all because I thought it felt yeah. very authentic. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Like, he just felt like a person to me. Sure. Not an actor. Like, next to Leo, right. acting next to him, he was just right. like, all right, I'm going. I'm going. Yeah. You know, like, I, it just, it rang so true. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think what the movie does, like, so interestingly is, like, th- I think about a character like him and there's a moment where he's asked to commit a murder and he's like, no, I, I, I don't want any part of that. And they're like, oh, well, it's an Indian. And he's like, oh, well, that changes things. Mm-hmm. And even as, like, dastardly as that is, like, I find myself respecting a character like him more than I do Ernest because at least it's like – at least he's being upfront about, right. you know, how he, how he feels and he's wearing his intentions on his sleeve. Whereas, like, you take it to Ernest – who is trying to be duplicitous but is is a bumbling imbecile mm-hmm. and then you take it up a tier higher and then you look at, at – at, actually, I'll go to his brother because his brother did seem more like uh, corrupt and mm-hmm. more like aware of what was going on and more intentional in his, in his betrayals. And then you get to William uh, Hale where he's the ultimate worst because he's the one that's bringing you in for a hug just so he can get you close enough to stab you in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a tier of evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A hierarchy of evil. That actor yeah, yeah. that played John Ramsey, his name is Ty Mitchell, and he's been okay. in three other things. A music okay. video, he was in True Grit, and then okay. Dry Land in 2010. So All right. I just, like, I don't know, I loved him. Like He was just, great. He, he was, was great. wonderful. Yeah. Um, but his, yeah. like you said, his character being simple but true he was a perfect focal point for um the the view of how the white people saw the osage and oh Mm. well it's an indian well then yeah i don't mind 
almost you know like they were a lesser a lesser form of life which of course is well documented yeah. um in history um right yeah and and to juxtapose that at the beginning you were talking about that montage um mm-hmm. So before the deaths, we have a montage showing the wealth of the Osage Nation at right. this time, where they were the wealthiest people per capita. And I thought um, a little bit, I thought that scene was like maybe a little long, but I thought, no, he really wants to drive at home how incredibly wealthy they were and how uh-huh. the dichotomy there in Oklahoma was totally thrown on its axis by the native american people having all this wealth and having all these material things and the white people in their community being their their help in their house and their chauffeurs and their assistants and um i really like that he took the time to show that because i think it's hard for us in 2023 to understand no these were the richest people in the entire world not just the united yeah. states <laughs> yeah I, I remember that line specifically saying on the entire planet they were the richest people per per capita which was yeah kind of mind-blowing it really is it's uh, wild it's it's such a unique period of, of of time and it's crazy that you know that this isn't taught or it wasn't taught when i was growing up like uh this is my first time really being exposed to the story like hearing about this movie being made and um, it does make me think of the fact that, like, the the Tulsa race riots are also, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of showcased in this movie. And, like, that's another perfect case in point. That was another historical event that I had absolutely no idea about and has been brought to the forefront in recent years. So mm-hmm. I, I thought it kind of fitting that it paid a little homage to that event that was not only happening in, a, in the same region but at the same time yeah, with similar I like themes. Yeah, I that inclusion because it – like you said, it's just indicative of what was going on. And when Rita and Bill's house is exploded, that was mm-hmm. poor grammar, but you know. Blown um, up. <laughs> it exploded. Uh, and somebody's <laughs> exploded. Uh, and uh, that's terrible. It's not funny. Um, that's a little funny. When it was blown up, which is the correct thing to say, right. uh, and somebody's saying it's just like Tulsa, it's just like Tulsa. And I was mm. seeing the movie with my coworker who uh, is the reason David Grant was brought to our campus. And she was like, I don't remember the race riots being in the book. And I said, well, it's not. It's just to drive the point home that this was unfortunately not unusual at this time in the country. Um, yeah. yeah. What did you think yeah. of the ending, the radio uh, oh, performance yeah. of the murders? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> it – Right up until Martin Scorsese took the stage and did his moment, it wasn't working for me. Oh, really? It it initially took me out of the movie. I was like, okay, we're in a new scene. What's that? Okay, what's happening? Okay. (laughs) Now I understand what's happening. I was just like, I don't know if this choice works for me. Like, I'm listening. I'm absorbing all the information. I'm taking it for what it is. But then when Martin Scorsese took the stage and said what he said about the fate of Molly, like, that's when, you know, the the hair stood up. And I was like, okay, this was the correct choice. This really works for me. And uh, I – that's one of those choices that either, like, really works or just falls flat on its face when the the person behind the camera decides to, like – step out from it and make like a kind of on the nose commentary about their piece of work. But in this sense, I thought it was entirely appropriate and entirely, entirely poignant. So it worked for me ultimately. How about you? My one nitpick, it's Uh one tiny nitpick is I wish that had been the author and not Martin Scorsese. Uh, Okay. But I get it. It's your movie and your director and there's some (laughs) ego involved there. But you know, like I just thought that would have been a really nice 
way to include David, um, who worked so hard on this book, still comes to Oklahoma to visit the friends that he made, like, regularly. Like, he comes a few times a year. Um, So that was, like, my own. But otherwise, I really liked it because it kind of, um, in the book, like I said, you have the Bill Hale, the Osage, and then the FBI. And then at the very end, you have David Grand's kind of, like, epilogue from his point of view he writes it in first person and so that kind of is what the radio show made me think of like now we're wrapping it up and you're getting a little bit of a behind the scenes here's what's happening now kind of feel to it Um, Mm -hmm. so I I liked it (laughs) my coworker was like what (laughs) that was weird and I was like (laughs) it was different but I I don't know I enjoyed it yeah Ultimately, it, it worked. It it took a second for things to click, but it worked for me. So it's it was uh, very herky jerky, but I yeah. didn't bother me. Yeah, I kind of liked being sucked out of the uh, the madness of the trial and the continued uh, malevolence from Hale and his supporters. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, oh, this is like a breath of fresh air a little bit after all the things sure. we just watched for yeah. three and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you're 100% right about that. Uh, thinking back about on the the way it made me feel, and it was kind of like, yeah, this, this sense of release um, in, in terms of the, the pressure cooker we had just been in. But then it is kind of, uh, I, I talk about, you know, Scorsese taking the stage, but it's really capstoned with the the drum ceremony, which mm-hmm. like ties it back to exactly what it needs to. We started the movie with the Osage. We're ending the movie with the Osage, which I, yeah. I thought was nice. Yeah. I did too. And I think yeah. that they spent a lot of, they filmed the whole thing in Oklahoma, I oh, believe, okay. or they filmed I, most of it in Oklahoma. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I think that they got a lot of really natural um, things like that to include, which I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are we okay. missing? Should we, Pause for a quick break while we discuss that and then come back to kind of talk about our final thoughts. Let's shall. We'll be back after this ad. And we're back. Second half of talking about Killers of the Flower Moon. What else do you have for us, Scotty? Yeah, so we talked a little bit how that ending sequence provided a relief of some of the pressure and the tension. And I think about the atmosphere of this movie and how how well the period the time period is sold. And I think one of the components of the film that really helps that is the score. And uh, I think about all of the Martin Scorsese film scores I've ever listened to, and this one is is wholly unique. Like mm. it's just such a vibe and has such an atmosphere. It's like a lot of use of like slide guitars with these like uh, indigenous rhythmic drums mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, there's the, the use of percussion to kind of like act as a heartbeat for this film. I think it, it, it really worked. Yeah. I was trying to pay attention to the drums cause I was thinking they, the little underbeat of the drum, it was super quiet. It was pretty much just the drum, the heartbeat, like you're talking about, it was kind mm-hmm. of happening like with each murder, like leading up to each one, if I'm right. And then it felt like the yeah. murders were quiet. Um, yes. And I notice it most distinctly when Rita and Bill's house is blown up. Um, mm. You can hear the drum beats as Ernest is going home and as he's, um, you know, chiding Molly for having been over there. Like Molly almost died in that explosion. Right. Is the crazy thing. It's true. Yeah. Um, and then they get into bed and it's quiet. And then the explosion happens. And yeah. it had those almost jump scare like... Oh, yeah. Atmospheres, too, that with the buildup and then the silence. Right. Yeah. 
It was good. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Like I kind of like, it was a jump scare and I knew when the explosion was coming, but it was because of that buildup from the drum. It was like, okay, we're ramping up to something mm-hmm. big here, even though like the activities we're seeing are relatively mundane. But um, it also makes me think about the sound design. And when thinking about the sound design, I think of one sequence in particular, which is one of my favorite sequences. And I think uh, is one of the most heartfelt sequences in terms of really selling this relationship between Ernest and Molly because while it is inherently flawed, I do feel like there is real love there. Like you said in the book and in the movie, it does seem like Ernest, as flawed as he is, he does have real love for this woman. So, And I'm referring to the sequence where he's over at her house while she's still living with her mother and the storm happens and his move is to go shut the window and she says, no, leave the window open. Like mm-hmm. we need to just like sit and be in this moment and listen to the storms because storms are powerful. And it was just such an engrossing moment and just hearing the pitter patter of the rain on the rooftops was just such a, a awesome moment of, yeah. of like quiet and such a, an epic film. It felt like a reprieve and you almost feel not even almost, you do feel the genuine relationship between them that's forming, that he's willing mm-hmm. to listen to her. And I think not just because she's wealthy. He's he's like, oh, this is, okay, this is something I don't know anything about, so I better actually sit here and be quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, we, we talk about how dumb he is and how much of an adult he is. And I think what works about their relationship is like she knows that about him. Like I think about when she was talking with her sisters about him is like he's he's not smart. He's mm-hmm. like uh, – but those blue eyes, those blue eyes just mm-hmm. do it for me and, you know, coyote. he's he's got ambition. Yeah, he's a coyote. Yeah, that's right. And he's like I don't <laughs> well, know what Molly, you just said. <laughs> in juxtaposition was very intelligent. She went to – Oh, yeah, she, she was. She was forced yeah. to go to a Catholic school down there in Oklahoma yeah. as they tended to do to them. Um, and uh-huh. so she was educated and – she is truly the one who was like, no, we need to hire somebody to find out who's been doing this. This is, there's something not right about this. And yeah. uh, they just, they kept trying to make her, you know, stay yeah. out of things. And that's why they were drugging her. Um, yeah. It, I mean, just that was hard to watch. <laughs> that part yeah. Was really she's hard to watch. Yeah, she's stu- such a like, you know, um, stanchion of support for that family. Like even before you know, more of her sisters start to to pass away or even her mother. Like I think about that sequence where she's there with her mom and her mom is asking for Anna. And I, my heart just broke for her because this yeah. is the daughter that's like showing up and being there for you and taking care of her. And you're saying you don't want her, you want Anna. And then when yeah. she sees Anna, she's like, you're already drunk. Don't be like that in front of mom. Like yeah. uh, my, I just, my heart really broke for her in that, in that moment. That whole scene in the house when all those people are there, which I don't know who the older white couple was supposed to be. Um, were they older. another? So everybody's around the table. They have the kids yes. and they're talking about how the kids are. One looks whiter than the other kind of nonsense. Oh, yes. But I, I'm not I, sure who they were supposed to be. Um, my assumption is that they were relatives of William Hale's wife. Oh, uh, okay. I don't know yeah, where don't I'm know. extrapolating that from, but that was my assumption. It was It was a scene that like set all of the the racial themes in place. Mm-hmm. It set all of the social hierarchy themes in place. And it was very pivotal. It's a scene that I could see 
like a studio saying we don't need this in here because we need to cut for time or something but Mm -hmm. it was an extremely important sequence to be in there yeah and I, i think that's where this movie really succeeds is in a lot of those like otherwise what might be like subtle or kind of restrained moments that's where you really get the sentiment and the atmosphere of this world and kind of like the walls closing in on this group of people and like I think about um I can't remember what the gentleman's profession was I don't know if he was the mortician or if he how how he was involved oh he was he was yeah he was the mortician because he was involved with the coffin Mm -hmm. and um he was having a conversation with Ernest about uh Anna's I'm pretty sure it was Mm -hmm. Anna's uh coffin and he says something to the effect of like you know People are supposed to work for their money. Have you ever seen any of these Osage working? So, like, it's he, very much the sentiment was, like, they're getting what they deserve. And it's like, yeah. oh, how it was awful. horrible. Yeah. And that is truly how people felt. And it's like, well, the Osage had been moved from Missouri, moved from Arkansas. They thought mm-hmm. they were going to settle here in southeast Kansas. Uh, I live in south central Kansas. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then they were pushed off that land, too, down into Oklahoma, right. to this land that everybody else had deemed very awful, like mm-hmm. low grade. You can't like uh, grow anything here. You can't put in crops, do anything like that. And then the oil is the black right. gold, like they say in the movie. And it, that resentment and that um, feeling of Americans at that time, some Americans that this belongs to us, you shouldn't have this. It's just, right. it's just so gross to think about. It's just one of the many gross aspects of all of this story. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. Well, um, before we get out of here, one of the other things I want to talk about is some of like the themes, uh, specifically with the visual language. And this film is kind of steeped in hyper-realism for the most part, but we do have a few sequences where we see characters kind of hallucinating or get to see things from their perspective. And one that really worked for me is the use of the owl as kind of mm-hmm. like this harbinger for death because we mm-hmm. talk about jump scares and the explosion, but both times the owl was featured like that that elicited like a you. physical <laughs> reaction out of me. Yeah, it was it was it was creepy. At first I was like, "Oh, an owl." And then I was like, "Oh no, it's a, not a good thing at all." Yeah. Right. I love owls, though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yes, it was very effective. Um, And yeah, it gave us some, did that really happen or not? Like when Molly Mm -hmm. is close to dying and she either hallucinates Hale being there or maybe he's really there. We don't know. Oh, right. It's left open to interpretation the way that it's left in the film. I thought that added to the paranoia that Molly was feeling that I think her mother was feeling. We just don't linger on that too much in the story. Um, Mm -hmm. and definitely worked for me in those terms. Yeah. Yeah. What other themes, or was that your major one? Um, That was the major one. Um, I I do think about when Lizzie passed away and she saw her ancestors. That was... That was um, cool. It was was really cool, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was one of those moments where I was like, is this... Is this happening? Are these characters that, that were present for the scene that I just didn't pay enough attention to? But it became pretty obvious pretty quickly what was happening there. Um, yeah, I had a feeling that was her her death scene. Um, right. All of – and at least hers seemed peaceful. I think that Lizzie was also poisoned, if I'm remembering correctly. It's hard to keep track of what they yeah, did to who. Because um, was they always call it the wasting disease. And the, yeah, yeah. 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 They couldn't pinpoint what it was, but – it was poison. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 
Do we rate the movie? Is that something we do on multi? We could, movies? yeah, we can do whatever we, we want here. This is a this is a brand new, you know, kind of spinoff segment. We're establishing well, <laughs> the rules right here, right now. That's true. We can do what we want. Uh, um, yeah. Do you have any other thoughts before we move into that? Um, in the end of the I show? just I, I would feel uh, a little bad if I didn't at least mention uh, John Lithgow and Brendan Fraser and like oh, they're yeah. kind of like they kind of come in in the in the final act of the movie there but mm-hmm. I again with the very limited screen time they're given I thought um, they did a great job I'm I'm a sucker for John Lithgow anytime anywhere he uh, was almost Br- like I didn't recognize him at first until he started yeah. speaking and I was like oh that's sure. Johnny boy <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah Brendan yeah. Fraser brought a powerhouse little tiny role in that uh, yeah. role of William Hale's attorney he was scary and menacing yeah. in my opinion Ugh. yeah yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, he could he could portray a, a robber baron. He's got that gear in oh, him. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> waiting for it. <laughs> and he had a very distinct way that he was delivering his dialogue that I don't even know how to classify it, but it was uh, effective. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, like he was enunciating his words really specifically. Oh, sure. I don't know. It was really... I'm sure he had reasons for doing it, and I liked it. I just don't even know what I would call it. <laughs> okay. okay. It was a choice. It was a choice. It was a good one, I thought, anyway. Yeah, no, I yeah, I, I, I definitely like this performance, so. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's yeah, think... uh, rate and review. What do you rate this Sure. Out? Let's do out of – let's do out of 10. Out of 10? Okay, 10 that sounds good. good. Yeah, I will do – Eight out of ten. I really, really like this movie. I think it is an important story that needed to be told. So uh, I'm really grateful that it was so deftly told. I do have a little bit of issues with the runtime. And um, I just think overall, like you talked about going into this without overhyping it. And that is something I do try to make active efforts to do. But I do think I went in just slightly overhyped. Mm. Um, but it's it's a, a very, very very good movie just i didn't absolutely love it the way i thought i was going to um i do think it's going to be a contender come award season but mm-hmm. at this point in time i think i see myself leaning towards oppenheimer maybe taking more of those but uh that that's where i'm landing how about you fair um having the connection to the book that i have Having met David Grant twice, he's a wonderful author and a very kind and down-to-earth person. Like, hearing from him that he comes back to Oklahoma just to see his friends that he made writing the mm-hmm. book just, like, tells me a lot about him as a person. Um, being close in proximity to where this happened makes me feel it a little more. Sure. Um, and so, for me, I thought this was just so well done really service the story it's a nine and a half out of ten for me nice. the half being i think that david grant should have been the person to read molly's obituary it's a total like fair my choice kind of a thing but yeah i just thought it hit it out of the park very so, cool there you go go see killers of the flower moon if you can stomach the long runtime. if your theater's like mine you can be 30 minutes late because there's 30 minutes of previews before <laughs> so <laughs> you know right. do what you need to do um if you take a bathroom break you probably won't miss too terribly much that you can't catch up on and then if you're inclined to read or use an audio book for reading definitely check out killers of the flower moon murder of the osage and the birth of the fbi i promise you it's in my top 10 of books it's amazing So, we're going to get out of here. Check out Multiverse News, which drops every Wednesday. We do a video podcast on Spotify, YouTube, and of course, it's available audio-wise everywhere. And Scotty, plug your show. 
Yeah, you can always find me over at Animation Deliberation. It's the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. And we are currently looking forward to Invincible Season 2, so it's a good time to come on over and check out everything we're doing over at Animation Deliberation. How about you, Haley? What else do you have going on? I'm over on Source Pages, where we read comics and novels as primers for all the geeky TV shows and movies you love. And if it falls outside that realm, like Killers did, I'm doing little book reviews on our Instagram, just little posts. Um, Maybe sometimes we'll cover those things here. Maybe they won't be covered at all. But if it's source material, we try to at least give it some limelight. So I guess that's it. Thanks for doing this with me, Scotty. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I'm glad we got the chance to sit down and and discuss this one. This was one I was super excited for. Me too. Me too. Um, I will just say real quickly, if you're listening to this uh, in close proximity to the release of Killers of the Flower Moon, we are doing our review contest right now. So you can join our Patreon. You can share the show. Or you can leave us a five-star review and let us know at multiversenewscast at gmail.com, and you'll be entered in for a chance to win a a copy of the blu-ray for loki season one yeah the steel book book that they put out it's really cool yeah definitely do the review contest and give all of our shows a five-star review on the stranded panda network you can check them all out at strandedpanda.com all right see you next time you stay classy multiverse